With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 290. It's titled, What are Closed-End Funds and How to Invest in Them? The stock market has been very volatile of late. Yesterday, global stocks fell over 7%, and today they're up close to 5%. Volatility tends to clump together. Just like if you're on an airline flight, you hit some turbulence, it tends to be followed by more turbulence. In fact, that J.P. Morgan Retirement Guide, the study where they looked at the previous 20 years and showed the performance, had you missed out on the 10 best days in the stock market, they pointed out that six out of the 10 best days were within two weeks of the 10 worst days. Volatility clumps. When markets start selling off, this severely, part of me gets kind of excited because I know that there will be bargains. And the place that I invest, the vehicle that I invest, where I know I am getting a bargain, are closed-end funds. Closed-end funds are commingled investment vehicles. There is a fund sponsor. Your assets are pooled with other assets, and that fund sponsor invests. Now, there are publicly traded closed-end funds and there are private closed-end funds. We're focused on the publicly traded closed-end funds because the private closed-end funds, there isn't a secondary market. There's no way to get out of them to sell your holdings unless the fund sponsor buys it back from you. Publicly traded means that there's a secondary market. You can trade the closed-end funds. Closed-end funds in the UK are called investment trust. They're known as listed investment companies in Australia. There are some characteristics. They, as I mentioned, they trade on an exchange, just like an ETF or a stock. Closed-end funds differ from open-end mutual funds. Open-end mutual funds trade at the end of the day, and they trade at a price that equals the net asset value. What a fund, an open-end mutual fund or a closed-end mutual fund, its net asset value is the sum total of all of its assets less its liabilities divided by the number of shares outstanding. An open-end mutual fund will create or redeem shares at the end of each day. The price it does that at is the net asset value. As a result, there are an unlimited amount of open-end mutual fund shares, just like there's an unlimited amount of exchange-traded fund shares. Whereas with closed-end funds, there's a fixed amount of shares. A closed-end fund sponsor will do an initial public offering 
for a certain number of shares, and then those shares will trade on an exchange. And the only way that there are new shares created is if the fund sponsor does what's known as a secondary offer. It wants to publicly issue more shares. There's an advantage to closed-end funds having a limited number of shares, and that is it's not getting cash flows in and cash flows out. The capital invested is more permanent so that the investment manager, the fund sponsor, can invest in less liquid opportunities or opportunities that might take longer to realize a profit. So it's it's more patient capital. The downside to that approach is there's no mechanism to make sure that the price of the closed-end fund stays close to or at the net asset value per share. A closed-end fund's price can sell at a premium to the net asset value or at a discount. This differs from an exchange-traded fund because there are authorized participants that are always buying and selling the shares of the ETF and the underlying holdings that make up a reference basket or creation basket, a representative allocation to the fund, and is always exchanging that basket of securities for shares of the ETF with the fund sponsor or vice versa. And all that trading within ETFs and the underlying holdings keeps the price of the ETF in line with the net asset value. None of that exists for closed-end funds. Closed-end funds have been around for over 100 years. They're a very old investment vehicle, whereas ETFs have only been around for a few decades. ETFs are, are more advanced in that way and have some advantages because you can buy and sell them on an exchange, but you don't have to worry about big differences in a normal trading environment between the price of the ETF and the net asset value. Now, having said that, when you buy an ETF in the open market or a closed-end fund, for that matter, always use a limit order, which means you specify the price that you're willing to pay for that ETF or fund. Don't ever use a market order, which says you're a price taker. You'll take whatever the market price is. You want control of what you're paying in that trade if you're buying or selling, and you do that through a limit order. Now, I mentioned that yesterday stocks sold off tremendously around the world. One asset class that got hit particularly hard are Master Limited Partnerships, or MLPs. These are energy infrastructure assets, so they own oil and gas pipelines and other storage facilities. Oil, the oil price fell over 20% yesterday, and these energy infrastructure assets also fell 20 to 25%. There are closed-end funds that invest in MLPs. I was screening to see the prices of closed-end funds on a website called cefconnect.com, and you can screen. You go to the pricing tab, and you can rank all the closed-end funds by their price to net asset value, either rank them by the premium or the discount. The most expensive closed-end fund on a premium to net asset value basis was the Nuveen All-Cap Energy MLP Opportunities Fund. 
JMLP is the ticker, it was selling at an 82% premium to net asset value. So if someone had bought that at the end of the trading day or near to the end of the trading day, they would have been paying $1.82 for a dollar worth of assets. We don't ever want to do that. On the flip side, the closed end fund selling at the biggest discount to net asset value was also an MLP fund. The Duff and Phelps Select Energy MLP Midstream Energy Fund. Ticker was DSE. It was selling at a 32% discount to net asset value. Same asset class. Similar holdings, but one at a significant discount and the other at a very large premium. Now, across all the closed end funds in the U.S., the average is a discount of about 4.4% right now. But one of the things I like about down markets is investors want to unload their closed-end funds. They get a, a bit panicky. And because there isn't a mechanism to keep that discount narrow, the discounts widen. On December 31st, 2006, the average real estate closed-end fund, or REIT, was selling at a 1% premium. The average high-yield bond fund at about a 0.1% discount. And the typical closed-end fund bond fund, just a general bond fund, at a 2% premium. Two years later, December 31st, 2008, the average real estate fund was selling at a 25% discount to net asset value. High-yield bond funds at a 13% discount and general bond funds at a 5% discount. Market volatility and market sell-offs lead to greater discounts. Cheaper prices for closed-end funds, where you know you're getting a bargain. If you can buy something at a 10% discount, that's a bargain. Because we know this is what the assets are worth. Those are accurate valuations. And here's the price. It's 10% off. It's the only investment vehicle that I'm aware of that you can do that. You can see the actual discount and take advantage of it. One reason these discounts and premiums persist is the closed-end fund market is not very large in the U.S. There's only 638 closed-end funds with total assets of about $240 billion. That compares to over 9,000 open-end mutual funds with $17.7 trillion of assets and over 2,000 ETFs with $4 trillion in assets. That means your average closed-end fund only has about $376 million in assets. And they're not terribly liquid, which makes it difficult for hedge funds and other institutional investments to take a meaningful position in a closed-end fund to hopefully benefit from the narrowing of that discount. Most of the investors in closed-end funds are individuals, retail investors who tend to panic in down markets, which is why the discounts get so much larger during sell-offs. About 64% of closed-end funds are bond funds. These are, for the most part, income-oriented strategies. Strategies put together to generate an attractive income distribution. And one way they do that is by using leverage. 72% of closed-end funds in the U.S. employ leverage, which means they have borrowed money 
And then they take those borrowed proceeds and invest them in the asset class that the closed-end fund invests in. Many closed-end funds issue preferred shares. So a portion of their leverage is funded with preferred stock. For example, I own a couple positions in Gabelli, which is a closed-end fund sponsored preferred stock. And they're tied to specific closed-end funds. They pay about a 5% yield. Gabelli has taken the proceeds from that preferred stock issuance, and then they invest that. Many closed-end funds have some type of credit facility with the bank so they can borrow money. Generally, the leverage will be 20 to 40% the value of the overall assets. And because of that leverage, their returns will be higher. They can pay a higher distribution. But they also have to pay dividends on their preferred stock, which they have to pay before they can do an income distribution, and they have to pay the interest. So the debt, the leverage allows for higher distributions, but it also leads to increased volatility. When you think about your house, it's a levered asset. You have a mortgage. You might have put 20% down. And if house prices fluctuate, your equity piece will fluctuate even more because of the leverage. So those are the primary characteristics of closed-end funds. They trade on an exchange. They can sell at discounts or premium to their net asset value. They employ leverage, so they're more volatile. They're not terribly liquid because the primary investors in closed-end funds are individuals. And each closed-end fund is relatively small in size. So now let's consider how to evaluate closed-end funds. How do we decide where to invest? Before we consider how to invest in closed-end funds and look at some specific examples, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Sometimes it's just nice to sit back, relax, maybe even take a nap. That's not what you want your money to be doing. You want it to be working hard for you, earning interest, generating returns. That's where the Betterment Automated Investing and Savings app can help. Betterment's technology gives you advanced tools that are built to help you maximize returns. They have diversified portfolios of low-cost ETFs that have been constructed by experts. High-yield cash accounts, where your money can earn 11 times the national average and automated investing technology like automated rebalancing. These tools can help you reach your savings and investing goals. Betterment is a fiduciary. That means it's their job to act in your best interest. They will never recommend an investment or give you guidance unless they believe it will help you reach your financial goals. So visit Betterment.com to get started. Learn more about the high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk, performance not guaranteed, Cash reserves offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. I know in our business, having the right candidates for the job is critical to keep our business running smoothly. Now, LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. 
So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash David. That's linkedin.com slash David to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. The way that I invest in closed-end funds, when we are in a market environment like we are currently, I will go to cefconnect.com. I'll go to the pricing tab. In fact, I'll open two tabs on my browser. The first tab, I'll just go to that pricing tab and I'll sort by discount the net asset value and look at which particular closed-end funds are selling at the biggest discount. And then in the other tab, I'll look at specific closed-end funds that might be selling at a big discount to net asset value. Now, if you do this frequently enough over a period of months or years, you get used to the different holdings. There's probably several dozen closed-end funds I have owned over the last 10 years or so. Some of my favorite sponsors are big-time investment managers, BlackRock. Nuveen, Calamos, Cohen and Steers, Pimco, DoubleLine, Templeton. I like closed-end funds from those sponsors because the fees tend to be lower. One of the considerations is what is the expense ratio that the fund sponsor is charging to manage the assets? Closed-end fund management fees are high, ridiculously high to some extent which is why we always want to buy at a discount to net asset value. You have to recognize compared to ETFs or even open-end mutual fund, closed-end fund fees are just, they're just high, partly because the assets under management in the fund are smaller. An open-end mutual fund or an ETF can charge less because they expect the fund to get very, very large. But a closed-end fund, when they launch, they know this is the size of the fund and they set the expense ratio accordingly, which tends to be higher, just like smaller mutual funds tend to have higher expense ratios. But I'll sort by discount to net asset value. And it isn't sufficient that a closed-end fund has a large discount to net asset value because many closed-end funds always sell at a big discount. What we care about is is the discount greater than average? Is it selling for a much wider discount than it does typically? And the way that we can do that is we can look at it graphically on CEF Connect. You can see a graph showing the discount compared to the average discount the past three or six months, one year, or even you can go back five years or longer and see, is this discount wider than normal? You can also look at what is known as a Z-score. The Z-score is the current discounter premium minus the average discounter premium, and then it divides it by the standard deviation. So it's a way to standardize a discounter premium. If the Z-score is greater than two or three, then it's a pretty significant departure from its average discount or premium. So a Z-score is another way to look at it, a little more statistically complicated. But the idea is, is the discount greater than average? Because what we're hoping 
is that over time, that discount will narrow and get back to average. So let's say we have a list of some closed-in funds whose discount, the net asset value, is greater than average. We want to understand what is the closed-in fund invested in, which asset class. We can look at that from CEF Connect. We can go to the sponsor's website to see how it's invested. We can look at the annual report, the semi-annual report. They often have fact sheets. And we want to be able to answer what is it. One of the questions in my book, Money for the Rest of Us, 10 Questions to Master Successful Investing. What is it? Can we explain in simple terms how this closed-end fund invests? Is it a high-yield bond closed-end fund? Is it primarily invested in bank loans? Is it preferred stock, convertible bonds? Just being able to understand what it is and what the fees are, what's the expense ratio, how much leverage is being used, because that'll help us understand how volatile it will be. And then we want to understand what's its distribution, what's its yield. The distribution yield is the income dividend, the dividend just from incomes, annualized divided by the price. And CEF Connect will calculate that for you. So you can see, does this fund, oftentimes it'll have a distribution yield of 8% to 10%. Now, ideally, that distribution will all come from income. That after the fund pays the management fees, the interest, the dividends, that there's enough cash left over to pay the distribution. And that's what's being funded. If the closed-end fund pays more than its income to shareholders, often through what is known as a managed distribution program, then it begins to return capital. It's called a return of capital distribution. You have income distributions. You have capital gain distributions where the fund has sold a holding, realized a gain, is now paying that to the shareholders. Then you have return of capital, which consists of unrealized gains where the fund sponsor hasn't sold the holdings and the original capital that was invested as part of the initial public offering or the secondary offering. We prefer closed-end funds where the return of capital is very, very low or doesn't exist at all, where the distribution is being funded primarily through, if not exclusively through, income. Now, all closed-end funds will occasionally have a capital gain distribution if they sell something. But we're interested in the income component, which tend to be higher because of the use of leverage. But we want the fund to generate enough income to pay that dividend above and beyond the interest expense and the expense ratio. Now, here's a couple of examples. Back in October 2015, markets were selling off significantly. They hit bottom February 2016. But in October, I saw a closed-end fund, the Calamos Convertible Opportunities and Income Fund, CHI. I did my screen on CEF Connect. It was selling at a discount, the net asset value. I was familiar with Calamos as, as a convertible bond manager. The expense ratio was reasonable, 0.8%. It did use leverage, but I bought the holding at a 10% discount. And then I held it. I collected the distribution. It was about a 10% distribution at the time, income distribution. And I held it for just about three years. I sold it in June 2018. The closed-end fund was selling at a 4% premium. 
Investors were paying a dollar four for a dollar worth of assets with this fund, so I sold it. I was early. The premium went all the way up to a 15% premium before the, the sell-off in the fall of 2018 took it back down to a 12% discount. One of the things that you'll notice with closed-end funds is the discounts often widen toward the end of the year, particularly the fourth quarter, because investors want to sell them. If it's been a down year, they want to sell them and realize the losses and take the capital loss, and then they might buy a similar closed-end fund later. That's called tax loss selling. So the discounts can widen at the end of the year, and that's what happened with this particular one. I didn't buy again in December 2018. I I certainly could have. But over that close to three-year holding period, my total return from the income distribution and the narrowing of the discount was 40% cumulative, or about 14.3% annualized. Now, again, this particular fund is selling at a 4.2% discount to net asset value. Its income distribution is, again, close to 10%, but its Z-score is less than 1. So its current discount to net asset value is not that much greater than what it's been over the past year. But that's an example. I did a screen. I was able to look at some closed-end funds back in 2015, and I bought others that were selling at very large discounts relative to the historical discounts. I understood how they were investing. The expense ratios were reasonable for closed-end funds, that is. The distributions were sustainable. They were not based on a large amount of return of capital, and it worked out well. Now, there is approach to closed-end funds where you don't ever sell when the discount narrows. And this is an approach promoted, taught by Stephen Bavaria. He writes for Seeking Alpha. He has a brand new book that I read, an early version called The Income Factory, An Investor's Guide to Consistent Lifetime Returns. I like the book because he went through the math, similar math that we walk through in my book, where we looked at the return drivers of an asset class. You have the cash flow, you have the cash flow growth, and then you have what investors are willing to pay for that cash flow. With stocks, particularly stocks that don't pay dividends, most of your return comes through cash flow growth and investors being willing to pay more over time for that stock and those earnings. But the approach for the income factory is if you can buy an asset where the cash flow is 10% per year and isn't necessarily growing at all, your return will be 10%. His approach then is to hold a basket of closed-end funds with very high distribution yields and hold them even as they sell off. And then you take the dividend and you're reinvesting that dividend over time in these more heavily discounted closed-end funds. That's why he calls it an income factory. You're getting more dividends and then you're building a bigger and bigger factory. It takes some fortitude. And he goes into detail with regards to some of the more esoteric closed-end funds like collateralized loan obligations. It's a solid book if you want to learn more about this particular closed-end fund strategy. Closed-end funds are probably my favorite investment vehicle because I like to be able to see that I can get a bargain despite their flaws, their high volatility, their higher fees, their illiquidity, the difficulty sometimes in getting information on the closed-end fund, what's happening now. That's why I tend to focus on the better-known sponsors, Nuveen, BlackRock, DoubleLine, Kalamaz because they're organizations that I, I know, I trust, and they have better disclosures. 
But it's a fascinating area to invest, one that I tend to focus on when markets are selling off like they are now. Now, I don't necessarily jump in right away, but we can be incremental in our approach and we can wait, let's say, for high yield bonds where spreads are widening significantly. Perhaps wait till they get to an extreme and when it appears that the economy is recovering and not entering into a recession or coming out of a recession, then we can add our position and hopefully watch that discount, the net asset value narrow, and collect a very healthy dividend while we're waiting. That is episode 290. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free insider's guide, and I'll email that week's links for the episode, as well as an essay on money, investing, and the economy. Some of the best writing I do each week just goes right to your inbox. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I'm not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.